Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. We had a leak in our house uh, like a month ago or so. Anybody ever had a leak in your house? A lot of people, yeah, it happens. And they are the worst, right? Uh, those leaks, they'll, they'll get anywhere. And we caught it pretty quickly. Uh, it didn't get much damaged at all, but we, we, we sniffed it out there and, and we were able to bring in a restoration company, they call it. In fact, the name of the restoration company was Amazing Grace Restoration Company. Isn't that a great name for that? That's like, that's like what we do, right? Amazing Grace Restoration. That's, that's a church. And so uh, they came in and were phenomenal and uh, helped us get everything. I'm, I'm talking really fast that day. And we got it all dried up for the most part, but we were unable to dry up everything. There were certain elements within our home, even though we caught the water real fast, that it had seeped under some of the walls and kind of wicked up into the insulation. And then on the other side of the wall where the leak first started, on the other side of the wall where it's kind of the entryway to our house, um, it got underneath the flooring and it was just impossible to dry that. There's just no way that we could dry that. So they told me, um, from what I understand, that we got to rip all of that out. We got to rip all of the damaged stuff out and put in undamaged things. We have to put in the new. We have to rip out the old and put in the new. But if you came over to my house right now, even though we haven't started the work, you, you would not see anything. There's no discoloration. There's no bubbling. There's no smell. There's no uh, any sort of signs that show us that there's any sort of damage underneath that. And yet, if we leave it in there, It'll cause problems down the road, right? Paul says that there's a similar thing going on when you submit your life to Jesus Christ. When, when you submit and become what we call a Christian, a Christ follower, that there are damaged things on the inside, right? And even though God gives us a new heart, even though uh, Jesus redeems us, the, there are these lingering effects. And it is our responsibility to go in with the help of Christ, it is our responsibility to go in and rip out the old, rip out the damaged, and then to put on the new. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And the reality is, as you look around the people in the room, or if you're watching online, if you can see somebody else, you'll see people, and for the most part, you look fine, right? I mean, we look around and it looks like a Christian to me, and they're dressed well, or, or they're clean, and they're modest, or, or they, they seem to be kind, they smile, all this sort of stuff. We look at one another, and we don't see any problems. But what I'm telling you, what I'm trying to communicate this morning is this. If you don't get in there and rip out that old stuff, the damaged stuff, even though you can't see it on the outside, it's going to cause problems down the road. It's going to lead to death. It's going to threaten you, your family, and everything within arm's reach. That's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, but before we do, let's pray together. And here's what we need to pray. Pray that God would give us clarity to see the damage, right? Because we, we don't see it. We've, we've become nose blind to the problems in our own lives. So pray that God would give us the clarity to see the damage. And then pray that God would give us the strength and the faith to rip that out. Because I'm telling you, it's harder and more painful than at first we would like to admit, but it's absolutely worth it. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Colossians and what it's doing in, in our lives as a, as a church and in our hearts as individuals. God, I pray that as we examine your word, that we would be 
encouraged by it, God, that you would give us clarity to look into the darker parts of our hearts and our souls, that we would shine your light on those areas, that we would, that we would be honest enough, that we would be truthful enough, even with our own selves, to say that's not good. That, God, you would give us the courage and the strength to rip those things out and that the peace of Christ, the word of God, would dwell and rule in our hearts, that the collateral blessings would be something that we can feel and that we can experience. God, we pray all of this. We do all of this. We think this. We say this. In Jesus' name, as one family, amen. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. Uh, as you know, that's a lot of text for me in a sermon. I don't usually like to tackle that much, uh, that many uh, Bible verses, but we're going to break it down into smaller pieces and, and work on it together. Let's read these first couple of verses. 1 and 2 say, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. As a side note, when you're looking for a church, and, and many of you college students, one day uh, careers or life will take you off. And, and when you're looking for a church, what I want you to understand, and, and one of the things I want you to look for, is a church that will preach through Scripture in, in a whole or in its context. And so that normally looks like preaching through books, normally, all right? It can be through small things like the Sermon on the Mound or the first part of Joshua or something like that. But uh, in, in their whole. And, and it benefits us in a lot of ways because there's two primary ways of preaching. One is through chunks of the Bible, like a book at a time. Um, another way is what's called topical. And that's where you pick a, an idea like faith and you pull that out and you look at all the verses of faith. Both of them are edifying in their own regard. But the, 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 uh, the primary diet of a church ought to be in its context. Why? Well, this is a perfect example. If you have your Bible, and you're looking at that. If you look up in chapter 2, verse 20, which would be the, the previous, the beginning of the previous section, it begins with the words, what? If you have, what? Died in Christ. Paul is making a two-part argument here, but we broke it up into two weeks. And unless you're seeing it all together, you're not seeing how those things fit together, how they, uh, uh, they all lock together. And so you want to see that. So when you're choosing a church, this is one of the things that you're looking for in a church. So if you have been raised with Christ, previously looking at the idea of dying with Christ, that once you have died to the worldly systems and standards and structures that are apart from Jesus, then you have been raised with Jesus. That's what Paul is saying just by those two arguments and what he's saying. So everything previous to this was about what it looks like to die in Christ and what we die to. Now, this section is going to look at what we do after or as a result with Christ. This is what we call and truly can and have license to and the right to call the Jesus story good news. Because if all we ever talk about was what you die in Christ, then that's really not good news at all. It's not. It's this part, the raised with Christ. So having died to Christ, you are now raised with Christ. And, and so often people look at Christianity in terms or in regards to what it is that we lose or what we die to or what we're unable to do. There'll be all sorts of accusations like, you know, Christians, they never have any fun. They're not allowed to do this. They're not allowed to do that. They're not supposed to do this. And to be honest and frank, usually those are um, some sort of made up standard that people have thrust upon us. 
like we're, we're not allowed to dance. Well, of course we dance. We teach kids dances in VBS every year. So it's, it's just these weird sort of standards that people put on us um, that are not accurate. But the reality is that that's not even the emphasis in the first place. It's not about what we die to or what we're not allowed to do. It's about now the life that we have once we have submitted to Christ and has accepted Christ. And so I want to just encourage you to understand it in that regard, to accept it in that regard. And so for the last three years, every single Sunday, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you that if you have not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have not yet submitted to Him, what you are doing is just prolonging. You are, you are, you are dying a slow, long, painful death apart from Christ. And, and so what we're inviting you to do is to live. It's, a, it's an opportunity to accept Jesus, to submit to Jesus. And so you can do that now in these moments. You can submit to Christ. You can do that as long as you're breathing, you have that opportunity. So from that foundation or on that foundation, Paul builds these arguments that we can see clearly in the text. And you really can see them by the, um, the focusing in on two very short words. The first one is puts. P-U-T, and the second word is let, L-E-T. Both of those words, to be honest with you, since I've been studying this text all week long, uh, they've sort of lost meaning. I've said put so many times in my mind and written put so many times, P-U-T, that at this point, I'm not really sure what put means, you know. It's put, a real word, put, 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 you know, but it is. And we're going to kind of look at it a second here. In chapter 5, or in chapter 3, verse 5, this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to read all the way to 14. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, of course. But now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is perfect bond of unity. You probably did not miss. You probably noticed how many times it says, put, all right? And so just to give you the context or the way that this thing is structured is it's 10 verses and those 10 verses say put six times, all right? At least in the English. And those 10 verses are divided into two sections. You can see that when you look at your text because verse 5 and verse 12 begin with what word? Therefore, that's right. So verse 5 and 12 both begin with therefore. And then there's all of this put language in there. It says it six times. Put, off, uh, put away, put to death, put off. And then it says put on three more times. The two sections also have difference in voice. The first one being negative, put away, put to death, put off. And the second one being positive, put on, put on, 
put on. All right. So now that you see that, what Paul is arguing here and what we're going to break apart is that Paul is saying, you once were dead, but now you are alive in Christ. And since you are alive in Christ, then, then you should put to death the evil things of the past and put on the good things. And what we'll get to in a minute, let the peace of God and the word of God dwell richly and rule in your lives. That's the point. That's what we're getting at. But, before, but as we do that, what, let me ask you this question. What does put mean? How would you define the word P-U-T? What does it imply? Well, most of all, and I think this is really what Paul is driving at, what he's really trying to get us to pick up, is that most of all there is an intentionality to the word. That you're supposed to have some sort of active participation in your faith. I, I would say it and break it down in this way, and you don't need to learn this. In fact, I think you already know it, that when you are putting something somewhere, or you're putting it to death, or you're putting it away, then you are identifying it, you are valuing it, or putting a valuation on it, and then you are taking action. Let's do a thought experiment, and you'll see this. It'll be somewhat sensational, but you'll see it. You'll understand. Let's imagine that you walk into your living room or your main room there in your dorm or, or in your house, and there is a rabid bat in, in, in this, this structure, all right? There is a rabid bat. I think all of us would respond the same way. And let's pretend you are with somebody else. At this point, someone is going to very helpfully identify the creature, right? There, I think almost always, probably 90 99% of the time, someone will say, what is that? And somebody will respond, it's a bat. And then there'll be like some back and forth about it's a bat. And everybody will just keep saying it's a bat, right? That's, that's what will happen. And it's there. You will identify it as a bat. You will then value it. Valuation. All of us, everyone gives it the same valuation. It must die, right? This that's the same valuation. Nobody's like, I want to hug it. Now, everybody's like, that thing needs to die. And we know that, and we put different valuations on things because you would treat a confused bird different than you would treat a rabid bat. You put different valuations on it. You're, everybody's following me, right? This is the way all of it would go, all right? What is that? It's a bat. It must die, right? Then we take action against the bat, we take action. You shoot it with a shotgun or a flamethrower. That's really the only two options that are supposed to happen at that point. There is an action taken. It must die, and so you kill it, right? That's sensational. It's silly. But that is what Paul says you are supposed to be doing to the things in your life, things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, etc., that's what we are supposed to be doing to it. But we don't do that because we don't see those things as the danger that they are like water in your wall or a rabid bat in your living room. We clearly identify those things, but these things tend to sneak up on us like, like that big snake in the jungle book, right? It just kind of slowly kills us. And what Paul is encouraging us to do is that you have to step back, look at your own heart and say, that is anger. And that is trying to kill me. It is trying to hurt me. Anger is going to destroy my family and my career and my small group and my relationships and my education. Anger is not a thing that I want in my life. It must die. That's what we're supposed to do. But we don't. We hide it. We make excuses for it. Well, it's like, well, you, if, you, if you knew where I was coming from, or let me explain, or this kind of stuff, and listen, you know, I don't even really care where the bat came from. It must die. 
You understand? Nobody ever asked. You know, nobody ever said, well, we just need to find out its story. Let's just need to see, you know, where it's feeling, what it's coming from, its life experience. All we don't care. It's over. It's dead. It's the same thing with the threat of lust in your heart and anger and greed and slander. We're so comfortable with these things that we will excuse them and stuff like that. And, and hear me on this. You probably do have life experiences that make you angry, that, that slant you toward certain propensities or sins or addictions or something like that. I'm not devaluing your life experience. Those are real. They're causes, but they're not excuses, all right? You got hurt. I hate that. So what are we going to do with it now? What we're going to try to do is not hurt other people because you got hurt, right? And we're not going to let whatever happened in the past keep hurting you through anger and lust and greed and all that sort of stuff, right? So that's what he says with the put away, put to death, put off. And then he says, put on, put on, put on. So just like you are to identify, value, and kill these bad things in your lives, you're also supposed to then replace them. Replace them with good things in your lives. And he, and he lists those things out as well in verse 12. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiveness. So you would say something like, okay, I don't want to be angry. Therefore, I'm going to be kind. So I'm putting to death the thing that makes me angry. Not the person, right? Just the thing. And so I'm putting to death the thing that makes me angry. And then I'm going to be kind. So instead of saying the mean thing, I'm going to say a nice thing. And how does that feel? How do you like putting that on? You know, it feels weird and it feels awkward at first because, you know, it's a new shirt, but you'll wear it out. It'll be fine. That's what he's saying here. And I know that it sounds like I'm simplifying the thing, but it's not complicated. So we are to be actively identifying, devaluing, and killing the bad things in our lives, and then actively identifying the things that we do want, the things that reflect Christ, the things that are good and wholesome and uplifting and upvaluing them, you know, giving them a greater value, and then putting them on in our lives. That's what we are supposed to be doing, those two sides of things. It reminds me of um, this, this fad that happened not too long ago. Y'all remember when everybody was decluttering their lives? You know, they were looking at things and they were like, uh, this lady named Marie Kondo, she wrote this book. I didn't read the book, um, but the summary of the idea was essentially you like, you go into your closet and you pull out a shirt or something. And you're like, does this shirt bring me joy? And if it does, then you keep it, you know, and if it doesn't, then you trash it, right? That's how you declutter things. And, and we are Westerners and we're Americans and this sounds crazy to us, you know. Well, most of us are Westerners and Americans. Uh, it sounds crazy to us. And so we're like, no, of course not. I need three garages. I'm going to shove a bunch of stuff in there, not my cars. I'm going to shove a bunch of stuff in there because the attic was full. And then if that gets full, then I'm going to rent a space. I'm going to rent a space to put more junk in it, you know, because that's the way that we operate. And we need to declutter. It's like if you move into a house and you're like, that's the junk drawer. Does that happen in everybody? It's just the way, when we move to places, we're like, okay, here's the forks. That's where the cups go. That's the junk drawer. It's the perfect junk drawer. I couldn't pick a better junk drawer myself, you know? And so there's the junk drawer. You don't put a thing in it. Not one thing. You look in there in six years and there's like pins, rubber bands, a piece of something, used uh, birthday candles. It's just all kinds of stuff in there. It grows by nature. At some point, you're going to have to pick it up and go, you know, this doesn't even work. Let's throw it away, right? Same thing with your heart. At some point, you're going to have to just open it up, look in a mirror and go, I gossip a lot. 
Like I'm regularly in conversations where people are telling me things that ain't none of my business. I need to put that to death, right? I need to do something about it. I need to, I need to toss this. I need to get rid of this. It will never happen on its own. It's not going to happen on its own. Lust is not going to die eventually. Look, it's not going to die when you get married. It's not going to die when you have children or something like that. There's no phase at which you kill these things off or you grow out of these things. There's only a time in which you kill it and then you grow past it, right? So that is the put to death and put on concept. And then he transitions into that other concept, that next part where he says let's in verse uh, 15 and 16. And let's the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Two things, let the peace of Christ and the word of Christ dwell and rule in your lives. Also take note that this is a communal activity. This peace is going to uh, rule, where did I, where's the, in which you were called also one body, rule in your one body, all right? The one body is the church. It's your family. It's your small group. It's communal, all right? All the saved people say amen. And then let the word of Christ dwell richly among y'all, all right? That's what that says right there. Y'all is plural. These things are happening communally. And these things are passive. Do you get that? Put, P-U-T, is active. You do that, and then when you do that, this will happen to y'all. That's what Paul is teaching there. And it's important that we see where we're supposed to act and what God himself is going to do. The peace of Christ implies not only the absence of conflict, but the presence of unity. Unity in diversity. That there would be different kinds of people and different backgrounds and cultures and, and worldviews and perspectives. And yet they are united around what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because why? They've all died to the previous things and standards of this world and now are raised and living as one body. And the peace of Christ would rule. I love that. I love that the peace of Christ rules because rule is dominating. It's aggressive. It takes over. It's in charge. It's the peace that is dominating over your life. You see that? It will control every aspect of what you do. Peace will, not conflict, not outrage. That's the thing that dominates our culture right now. Everybody's outraged at something and people are outraged at somebody else's outraged. And they're even more outraged if you're not outraged about the same thing that they're outraged about. But let the peace of Christ rule in your body, in the world. And let the word of Christ. Now the word of Christ would be like our our worldview, our perspective. It's the way that we understand things. It's the way that we define concepts and stuff like that. And we're good at identifying the way that others are not living by the word of Christ, like the scriptures. We know that out there, they don't hold to these concepts. That's why they have these, um, uh, quite honestly, these, these uh, detached from reality notions of things like gender identity and sexual orientation and marriage and, and the solution to racial conflicts and racial unrest and uh, power dynamics and the way that we are supposed to do business and the way that we are supposed to express ourselves and where we are supposed to find our value and how we are supposed to live. They, the system, and a lot of us ascribe to these things that are not informed by the word of Christ because the word of Christ defines these things for us. It illuminates it. It tells us the way of what reality or truth is. 
But before we're so careful and um, precise in attacking those on the outside that do not live by the word of Christ, let us be very careful to know that there's a lot of people within the church that say they subscribe to the word of Christ as their rule and they're dwelling richly among them, but then they live like that's not true. And I know this, right? Because I've pastored for two decades. There's a bunch of people who say, I believe the word of God. I submit to the word of God. And yet they will treat things like the gathering of the church as optional. They will pray about whether or not they should support the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ financially. What are you praying about that for? God told you to do it. You're just going to ask him if he meant it? What are you praying about that for? I've had people say that. It's like, hey, uh, you know, what do you think about tithing? I need to pray about that. God's like, no, I done told you once. I'm not telling you again. That's how God says it. I wrote it down. They will talk to one another like they're enemies instead of like they are family. Not friends, family. These are people that say that they believe in the word of God. And they talk about other Christians like they're enemies. It doesn't make any sense. They can gossip with the best of them. They're just running people down, talking bad about other people, their own family. They're talking about that way. And then the second, the very second that they just think that something didn't go according to their preference, they bail on the whole thing. These are people who are so quick to articulate how others are not living by the standards of the word of God. Neither are we. But when we let, when we put away the evil, and then we put on the good, then we all collectively win. Jen, Jen Wilkins says it this way, and I love this. Personal sin always results in collateral suffering. If you hide greed and lust and anger, if you hide wrath in your heart, you are not the only one that's going to suffer the consequences from that. Your family will suffer. Your small groups will suffer. Your friends will suffer. Your coworkers. Eventually, it will blow up. You're not holding a little flower in your heart you're trying to snuff out a grenade. And when it blows up, it's going to blow up over everybody. Personal sin always results in collateral suffering. But, and this is good. This is encouraging, right? Personal holiness always results in collateral benefits. That when you are kind and you are gracious, then other people will benefit from that. And that's, that's an amazing thing. Here's what we have to recognize. And this really hits us in the gut, right? It's just a punch in the gut. That if this is passive, let, that means that if... The peace of God is not ruling your relationships if the word of God is not dwelling or living richly among you, then it is you who is stopping it. You are stopping that. Because I promise you, it's not God who doesn't want to uh, unleash his blessings upon you with his peace and his word. God wants to do that. He died to do that. It's us that are standing in the way because we're still holding on to this little pet sin in the shadows, in the quiet, behind the closed door that nobody knows. So we are the ones not allowing that to come forward. I have this drain in my yard. I'm a simple person and I'm impressed by simple things. I moved into our house and I noticed that there was this drain in the yard, which is not that impressive, but it went under the driveway, y'all. And then it dumps out in the backyard. There's like, a, there's like a tunnel. There's like a little mouse cave underneath my driveway. And I thought this was really cool. So I made the boys stand in the backyard by the opening. And then I got down in the tunnel and I talked like this. And they could hear me over there. And so I thought that was cool. Y'all remember this last summer? 
when it was raining a lot, I noticed in my side yard where the little drain is, all the grass was dying. And I didn't really know why. There was no reason for it. But I was outside one time when it was raining and I noticed that there was so much rain that it wasn't soaking into the ground and it was puddling. It was pooling over there. It wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. So it took me a couple of weeks to figure this out. The drain has stopped. Like that's what that's for. And so it stopped. So I go back to the backyard where the, the part is supposed to come out, you know, and I can't find it. I can't find it anywhere because it had been three years and it apparently had grown up. Previously, when I first saw it, there was little rocks, you know, like a little, it all came out and there's little flat stones. It was really cool. But there's so much grass that I couldn't find it. So I waited for the, uh, for a sunny day when it wasn't raining. And I went out there and I shoved the hose down this side, shoved it all the way down as far as I could, turned the water all the way up, went out to the backyard, got down on my hands and my knees. I took my fingers like this and shoved them into the grass and started to try to feel all around, trying to find where that water, it took 20 minutes of me standing out there trying to find this for there to be enough water that it started to trickle out of what was already jammed up and what was stopped there. And so when I found it, I ripped all of that grass back with my hands and I found those little stones and water just gushes out of there and Nerf bullets just gushed out of there, right? That's what happens, you know? That's what we've done. We're like, why, why are the churches all like at odds with one another? Why aren't people just living by what their creator told them to do? You know why? Because little plants like a little bit of greed and a little bit of lust and a little bit of anger and slander and wrath has all grown up thick that we have stopped it from coming into our lives. That's what Paul says, that if you'll put that stuff away, kill it, say, that's not good and I don't want it. And then put on kindness and gracious and gentleness. Then you will let the word of God dwell richly in the peace of God Rule Verse 17 really sums it all up, doesn't it? It says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Like we say that when we're done praying. And in Jesus' name, amen. That's how uh, my second son used to, when at nighttime prayers, I say, in Jesus' name, he goes, amen. In the name of Jesus, what does that mean? What does it mean? Is it just like the magic spell we put on the end? Hocus pocus, you know? Is that what it, no? It means that you are representative of Jesus. It means that you're walking around town with Jesus' name on your t-shirt. And so everything you're doing, everything you're saying, everything you're thinking, does it align with the name on your t-shirts? The way that I say it is this. Can you look Jesus in the eye and tell him what you told your friend about your other friend? Can you look Jesus in the eye and tell him what you think? Can you look Jesus in the eye and tell him the plot of the Netflix series you're watching? And don't leave any part out. Can you look Jesus in the eye and tell him what you did last weekend? If you can't, stop it. Quit doing that. If you can't look Jesus in the eye and tell him. Now look, Jesus isn't expecting you to be perfect. You can say sometimes, hey Jesus, I, I messed up. He knows that, but it's not that part that we're talking about. It's not that I messed up, it got the best of me. It's that I intentionally, willfully did the thing you told me not to do. That's the part where Paul is saying that is causing collateral damage and you're not even, you're not even aware of it. It's causing collateral damage. So if you can't look Jesus in the eye and tell him what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're whispering, what you're watching, then stop it. 
You see, this is how it all sums up. Take the trash out, kill the bad stuff, and put on some clean, good stuff. When you do everything in the name of Jesus, his peace and his word will rule in your relationships and in your life. This is all about personal responsibility. This is all about you being active with your faith. And so here's the transformation. Here's what I want to ask you to do this week. Um, Swap out something in in your closet. Look at the closet of your heart. Paul's using this language of put away, throw away, and put on. It's clothing language. So pick out something, just one thing, and do an assessment. Do an inventory and say, this thing, I don't want in my life anymore. And there is power. There is real power in identifying it. There is really strong power in saying it out loud, in writing it at the top of your journal, in writing it in the margin above um, this page right here in the Bible, in telling it to your friend or to your minister or to your small group uh, leader and letting them go, look, I am going to destroy uh, slander. That's a thing I do. I'm going to destroy the slander and I want to put on kindness with my words. That's what I'm going to try to do this week. And some of you are like, look, I've been, I've been angry for the last 40 years. My dad told me that. My wife told me that. I've been hiding this sin for the last couple of decades. Look, gossip to me is just so natural. I don't even know I'm doing it. When people tell me I'm gossip, I'm often shocked that they're right. These kind of things. It's going to take a lot longer, Pastor, than one week to get rid of this thing. It's going to take a lot longer than, listen to me, I know that. I know that it may take longer than a week, but you know what? You will never kill it if you don't start sometime. So start this week. And here's the other thing. Look, we love you. I love you. The people sitting next to you love you. And so it's clean slate. We're all happy to give one another a clean slate, right? Everybody shake your head yes so everybody else can see. We all give everybody else a clean slate. You haven't been angry yet, okay? So in my mind, you ain't never been angry. You haven't, you haven't messed up yet. So we're going to do this together. We're going to throw that one out. We're going to put the good one on. Jackie grew up in this house in Carrollton, and her folks still live in that same house, right? And so whenever I go, whenever we would go uh, back and stay with them, we would stay in the same room uh, that Jackie uh, grew up in. Little girl, preteen girl, teenager. Isn't that weird? You ever thought about your spouse? They used to be like a little person, you know, and uh, it's weird. But anyways, you walk down the hall and there's all these pictures of Jackie when she was like three and four and a preteen and those ones are hilarious. And then there's more, you know, and you get back to the room that she grew up in and whenever we go over there, we would stay in the room that she grew up in. All right, so it's weird. And, uh, and it was, when we first got married, it was pretty much the same as her teenage years until she went off to college. And uh, so it's kind of decorated the same, pretty much the same furniture. There was, a, there was a treadmill in there holding a bunch of clothes, but now it's, you know, it's a little different because she moved out. But there was this mirror on the back of the door, uh, like a full-length mirror, you know, like $9.99 at Walmart, plastic uh, uh, edges there. It was all screwed up. And on the mirror right there, right at the bottom, right here in black magic marker or uh, permanent marker, it says, I heart Brian. Real big right there. It's like, it's right there, you know. And uh, Brian is Jackie's ex-boyfriend, obviously. And apparently at one time she hearted him. And um, it's never really bothered me. It didn't really bother me at all because, you know, I don't personally know Brian. I feel like if I did know Brian, I probably would heart him as well. He seems like a nice guy. Um, Everything I've heard, he was great. And so, and besides, I feel like I married Jackie is way bigger and uh, it's like way better than I heart Brian. So take that loser. And so... (laughs) 
I don't, it doesn't really bother me all that much. And I really never said anything. But then like three years into our marriage, I was just kind of joking, but I was around her parents and I called the room the I Heart Brian Suite, right? You know, I was, I was like, oh yeah, I get to stay in the I Heart Brian Suite. And uh, her mom laughed, her dad took the mirror down, you know, and uh, he got rid of it, he swapped it out. I asked him later if I could have it. He said he threw it away. He's like, what are you gonna do with that mirror? And I said, I'm gonna send it to Brian. <laughs> A little note that says, heart the kings, <laughs> I win. So. That's probably a pretty decent illustration about what it is that we are doing and we don't even think about it. We're doing that and we don't even think about it. You're not with that guy anymore. It is different. You have a new relationship. You are with Christ. You're not on that guy's team. You're not over there anymore. And yet your heart, you're still wearing the wrong clothes. You're still dressed like you're on that team. And my advice to you, Paul's advice to you is, you need to change your shirt. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.